We are continuing uh, in our series on the book of Philippians. It's been three weeks since we were there, and um, so we're coming back to it. And we're in Ephesians 3, and today we'll be looking at verses 10 through 12. You know, I don't know where you're coming from this past week. Uh, I was thinking about that during worship. I mean, all of us come from different places, uh, life hitting us with a variety of things. And, uh, but the cool thing is God knows. He knows everything, every detail. God delights in every detail of your life. Not some of the details, but every detail. That's why, you know, through the week, uh, taking opportunities to, to worship, tell God how great He is, and then coming together on a Sunday morning. What a, what a great opportunity. And I was thinking, why, why would we sing? You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to sing. We're going to sing with the angels, worshiping God. And I get it. You know, some of you think, oh, that's going to be a drag. It's going to be boring, you know. Million, you know, million point three years, you're into it. You know, we've been doing this a long time. You know, uh, let's do something new. Here's a footnote. When God is working and we allow him to work in our lives, there is such an expression of gratitude and love to him that we can't be quiet. We cannot stay silent. And worship, singing, gives us a platform to do that together as one. And I want to encourage you, I don't care what kind of voice you have, you know, God gave you that voice. Think about it, right? Yeah, man. Um, and so we sing as one voice together to God, telling him how great he is. And some of those songs this morning, they, they could have been prayers to him. Really. God, I need you. I need more of you. I want you to consume me with your presence. Simple prayers. And there's nothing wrong with singing your prayers to the Lord. It's just another way of doing it. So, yeah. It's been, it's been good this morning already. And we're grateful. Going back to August 1991... That sounds like a long time ago. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, well, we're not going to look at, but the, the magazine Runner's World had a story in it in that August 91 issue uh, about Beth Ann D.C. Antis in her attempt to qualify for the 1992 Olympic Trials Marathon. I know all of us get excited about the marathons. Um, yeah, the female runners had to compete the 27-mile 
plus 385-yard race in less than two hours and 45 minutes in order to compete in the Olympic trials. So it was a process. And Beth started strong, but she began having trouble around mile 23. Can't figure that out, you know? <laughs> Why? Why would that happen? Well, she reached the final straightaway at two hours and 43 minutes, leaving her just two minutes to qualify. And 200 yards from the finish, she stumbled and fell. She was dazed. She stayed down for 20 seconds. The clock was ticking. You know, you don't get a timeout in the marathon run. You notice that? There's no timeouts. Can you hold on? I just tripped. But, you know, put some time back on the clock for me. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, Two hours and 44 minutes, less than a minute to go, Beth. And staggered back to her feet, and she began walking. And five yards short, which equals 15 feet short of the finish, uh, with 10 seconds to go, she fell again. Now, why are these stools up here? Uh, just to kind of give you an image that it's 15 feet from that edge of the stool to that edge of the stool. So that kind of gives you a little perspective. Five yards, 15 feet to go. And she fell with 10 seconds to go. She began to crawl, and the crowd was cheering her on. And she crossed the finish line on her hands and knees. Her time, two hours, 44 minutes, and 57 seconds. She had a whole three seconds to spare. Yeah, man. Yeah. Friends, I don't know, again, where you're at this morning spiritually. Some of you may be running strong. Some of you may have fallen. Some of you are crawling. And God knows. And I want to encourage you today that God is cheering you on. On your hands and knees, you can cross that finish line. You may fall, but you can get back up again. That's the good news. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. There you go. So where are you in the marathon of life? Mile 23, 15 feet from the finish line, where, where are you? Just pause and identify that location in your mind. Um, being honest, of course, it's a good place to be. So let's go to uh, Philippians 3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to verse 7 and we're going to read through verse 12. So... You can track with me. Paul writing this letter to the church at Philippi. Um, he hasn't seen them in 10 years. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a centurion. And he writes this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And he had just listed all the 
Uh, qualifications he had, he could have bragged about it, boasted about it, how spiritual he was, but no, no, no. He says they're worthless because of what Jesus has done. See, that's another thing. When we can get a grip and fully understand what Jesus did on the cross for us, you know, we consider everything else worthless. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ. We sang that. I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And now he transitions the language from, for, for the next few verses, and we're just going to land on verse 12 uh, today. But he's transitioning from um, uh, looking at the past and what Christ has done, but now he's looking to the future. And he's doing that with athletic language, with, with racing, with marathon, with even a touch of military language here. And so with this, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And so in, in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, using athletic and military language in this text, I press on. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, if you're running strong today, if you're, if you're falling, if you're crawling on your hands and knees, press on in this race with Jesus Christ. And of course, our goal and your goal would be to cross the finish line and honoring the Lord with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we all have in this building and watching online to open the Bible and to read it. And today, Lord, we're, we're not going to read it only. We're going to apply it to our lives. We're going to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us in very practical ways, Lord, because we're not going to stay in this building for the next week. We're going to go back home. We're going to go to work. We're going to go to school. And we need you, Lord, so we can model you well. I pray for those individuals that might be struggling with their faith right now, doubting you, questioning you. Where are you, God? Why would you let this happen to me? May they see you today, Lord, in a very personal way. And so we give you permission to invade our space. Let there be a holy invasion of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's giving his mission statement here. 
people, you know, places where you work, or maybe even individually, they'll ask you what your life mission may be. And um, even though Paul was highly qualified in the religious community, he's saying that it doesn't really mean anything to him anymore because the living Christ, the Savior of the world, is walking up and down the corridors of his life, even though he's chained to a Roman guard. God is still working in his life. <laughs> and he's fired up about it. You think, God, you stuck me in under house arrest. You got me chained to a Roman guard. You're probably on vacation. You know, I can, I can just chill and feel sorry for myself. Paul doesn't do that. Not at all. A leading seminary surveyed its graduates to, to discover where it might better address, they might better address any deficiencies they have in their programs. The questionnaire asked the alumni to identify the one area in which they wish to have received better instruction. And so the students, you think about this, for three or four years of intense study in the original Greek and Hebrew languages, systematic theology of Bible, exposition, church history, and more, where did they feel most unprepared in life and in ministry? And the result of the survey that came back among these seminary students, now in full-time ministry, was really quite shocking. The most repeated answer was, how do I live the Christian life? It's quite a question. How do I live the Christian life? How do I do this? You might be asking that question too. Maybe you've been struggling with it. It doesn't make sense. Unlike when we put our faith in Jesus, you know, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, um, that transformation is immediate. Our, our names are in the book of life. Uh, we've been forgiven of all our sins. We, God sees us as holy as Jesus is because of the blood that he shed on the cross. That's immediate. But here's the deal. Um, that sanctification process that we live out for the rest of our lives is a lifelong process. And sometimes it gets a little messy, doesn't it? The sanctification process is this. It, it, I know that sounds maybe a little spiritual and you can't identify with it. It simply means that you become more like Jesus. <laughs> really, that's it. You become more like him. You model his character. When pressure comes, you model the character of Christ. When somebody cuts you off on 18.151, you model the character of Christ. And I have to tell you, that's evidence to me. I still need more of Jesus. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. That... Yeah, man, it... That sanctification gets a little messy. But here's the deal. In this process of becoming more like Christ, it, we see the evidence of that, Christ working in us. And we see that transformation, and that's why um, it keeps 
the fire burning inside our core. The evidence of the living God residing in me as a guarantee of the inheritance, he deposits his Holy Spirit for my eternal home, which will be heaven. See? Oh, man, to feel and sense Jesus working inside of my life. His grace being extended over and over again, which I definitely don't deserve. It, it makes me quite emotional, to be honest with you. God, you are so good, you know? You've proved it over and over again. Which therefore, it helps me, instead of judging somebody or being critical of somebody, I extend grace to them a little more freer than I would have years before. Again, evidence of God working in my life. So, it's a lifelong process. And this is where Paul lands, man. He lands right here. He could have said, man, I, I've, I've done this, I've gone there, I've, you know, God has used me. Uh, I think I'm going to build a library <laughs> with my name. And people could come from all around the world and say, there's the Apostle Paul's library. Oh, what a man. What a man. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, man. I've got more growing to do. There's much more that Jesus needs to do in my life. So, quick review. Let's, let's, uh, I choose Christ, number one. 10 and 11, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, and I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So here's Paul. He's giving an open confession to the church at Philippi. Paul already knew Christ. Christ had used him, but he wanted to know him even more. So we, we grow or we go stale. I think all of us have been down that road, haven't it? Hmm? Yeah. Uh, we hit this verse a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. So these are believers. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. What Paul is saying is, Church of Corinth, you're, you're getting caught up in the present day world. You've taken your eyes off of Christ and modeling his character to the world. And, and really, this is a wake-up call to the church from, from Paul. He's basically saying, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grow and mature in your faith with Christ. It's time to stop playing games, you know? Embracing the world, compromising your faith. And so while I was working on this, a famous song came to mind, and it's not a church song. Uh, you don't hear it on television or the radio anymore, and I'll tell you the reason why in a moment. But 
I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid. See, that's what they were telling Paul, man, from Corinth. I don't want to grow up. I like being a kid. I like milk in my Cheerios. Instead of having steak for breakfast, you're stuck on Cheerios. Shall we refresh our memory with this? I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with, and I don't want to grow up because I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up because maybe if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. That's the way a lot of church people are today, man. They don't want to grow up. They don't want to let go of what they have, let it go, and embrace Christ alone. They want the world, and Christ together. Well, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. More games, more toys. Oh boy, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. So if you want to be a Toys R Us kid today, you can't be. You want to know why? You Google Toys R Us. That's what's going on, man. Not that there's no... You know, there's not enough clientele out there. But I would hope this would be a picture of the church in America that we will not be Toys R Us kids any longer, but we will walk with Christ full-time, all in for Him. Why? Because I want to know Him. And I want to know Him more. No more games, man. That's what Paul's saying. We get to choose. You and I get to choose every day. Are we going to be a Toys R Us kid or are we going to go all in with God in my life? A simple prayer, man, for me daily. Lord, I humble myself before you and I need you. I need your help today. Holy Spirit, I need you in my life today. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to hit the fan today, but I want to model you. Right? Come on. Yo, yo, yo. That's me. That's you. We want to model Christ. Yeah, we hit this Mark Batterson pastor in Washington, D.C., my greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus. I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel. You cannot be in the presence of God and be bored at the same time. For that matter, you cannot be in the will of God and be bored at the same time. The choice is yours. Pursue Christ or boredom. If you don't go after Jesus, you'll get bored. And that's the problem with the church in America today. You know, we want Jesus and we want Toys R Us. A little bit of Toys R Us, a little bit of Jesus. Keep get my fix. You're going to be bored, friend. That fire is going to burn out. And so we have to choose. We have to choose daily. Am I all in? 
or not? And that's the question I, I submit to you. Number two, know him. I want to know him. And having recounted his uh, conversion 30 years earlier on the Damascus Road, Paul continues describing his new life. Uh, let's, let's go to that map. So here's Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus. Israel right here. Um, again, Israel is the size of New Jersey, just to kind of put a little spin on that. And you got to realize, friends, this is a hot spot in the world, the Middle East. Now, here's the cool thing that, so Paul's on this road to Damascus, and he's been arresting Christians, and and Jerusalem, about right there. Here's uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea down here. Um, That When Jesus comes back to planet Earth, you know he's coming back, right? Did you get the memo? He's coming! Oh, he's coming! He's coming. He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives in just outside of Jerusalem. Boom! He's going to put his feet on the ground and it's going to split the ground from the Mediterranean Sea to the Mount of Olives going down to the Dead Sea. And with that, it's going to bring fresh water into the Dead Sea and all kinds of cool living stuff's going to happen down there. Isn't that amazing? And we allow Christ to land in us. We invite him in. We put our faith in him. There is a splitting that takes place. That which was once dead has become alive. Because wherever Jesus goes, he brings life. And so, friends, when you look at Israel and you think of Israel and and, uh, Levi last week hit you know, the, the value and importance of Israel uh, today, that seminaries today, we talked about seminaries earlier, they are doing a bait and switch. They're defaming Israel and elevating the Palestinians. That's what they're doing. And they're saying God is done with Israel. Well, if you think God's done with Israel, he'd be done with you too. Really. And as a nation, friends, and I'm telling you right now, right now, when you go to Genesis 12 and, you, and God says, man, you bless Israel, you're going to be blessed. If you don't bless Israel, you will not be blessed. Our country is not supporting Israel right now. They are elevating the Palestinians. So not only is it happening in seminaries, it's happening in our government right now. What does that leave the future of America? If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you don't bless Israel, you won't be blessed. We'll leave it there. All right? So I want to know him. And Paul, 30 years uh, going into flashback. Where were you when you put your faith in Christ? Paul goes back to Damascus Road when he had the encounter with Christ. He remembers it like it was yesterday. 
and he flashes back and he sees the good work that God's done in his life and that gets him all fired up. So he's going back and he's saying, I'm not gonna retire spiritually. I'm just beginning after 30 years. That's really what he's saying here. I'm just beginning. And he's saying, I want to know Christ. So to know, that means to know by experience. And that's where uh, Mark Batterson, when he's talking about people coming to church every Sunday, they never go all in because it's all up here. It's in their head. It hasn't hit their heart, their core. And so we've got we've to let God do that. So I want to know you, Lord. You think about Paul. He's been walking with Jesus for 30 years. He's been caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. Paul writes, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. There are people, of course, we know that they are dying and they have kind of an out-of-body experience. They can look down on their body. You've heard those, right? Yeah, so Paul is kind of identifying, you know, out of my body or in my body, I don't know. It was just amazing. He says, but check this out. But I, I do know, this is what he knows, that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. He'd say, oh, my, I wish I had. And Paul, it doesn't stop there. He had Jesus himself appear to Paul in Acts 23, 11. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Guess where Paul's in Rome right now? He's under house arrest. See? But he's talking, he's sharing his faith to the praetorium guards. That's what he's doing. He's seen miracles. God used them to heal the sick. And after all this, Paul says, I want to know him. Isn't that cool? Not, I have arrived. There's no more to experience. I've, 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 A to Z, man. I've, I've covered it all. No, no, no. He says, I want to know him. So point one. Experience the mighty power, verse 10b. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul wants to experience the power of Christ in his life. And he already has, but he's not satisfied. He, he realizes there's more. There, you can't tap God out. You can't tap God's grace out. He just keeps pouring more and more grace. It's an endless supply. He didn't want to live a mundane Christian life. Oh, yeah, I remember that experience I had five years ago, you know? No, he doesn't go back into history and reflect like the good old days. No, even though he's under house arrest, he wants more of God. And for this to happen, we need that resurrection power of Christ surging through us. Now you might say, where do I find that? Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 gives the answer. Where do you find that resurrection power? Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness 
of God's power for us who believe him. Where do we get it? When you put your faith in Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, but he gives you that resurrection power in your life. You carry it with you. The very presence and power of God. It's always there. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You, it's there, man. You put your faith in Christ, boom, it's here. You just have to let it work through you instead of shutting it down, trying to do it on your own strength and your own ability. And I tell you, man, going through Philippians, this verse is just, it's, it, it's been, it's an anchor. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is working in you. Go ahead. Say it in your head. God is working in me. 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 You see it? When God is working in you, it's not you trying harder. It's not you, you know, there's a little voice in the back, you're condemned, you're not good enough. No, no, no. He's working in you, giving you the desire and the power, the power to do what pleases him. It's him. We just say, go for it, God. You do what you want to do in my life. You know what that word working, I looked it up in the Greek. God is working in you. It literally means to be an active power. You know, an active power. Active. It's, it's not... On vacation, it's not taking a break. It's an active power working in you. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So Paul, you know, he lived his life with this resurrection power. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 in the message, it says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do. <laughs> we're not sure what to do. You ever been there? But we know that God knows what to do. Aren't you glad for that? You may not have the answer, but God does. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your insight. I need your understanding. We've been spiritually terrorized. That's an interesting phrase, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. So what Paul is saying, I've gone through it, man, and I've experienced that resurrection power of Christ you know, I haven't, I haven't been broken by all of these things. Why? Because of that resurrection power, resonant. But I need that more and more as I pursue God. So that power to live a godly life, to resist temptation, to meet every challenge, we need that same power, don't we? We do. Number two, suffer with Christ, verse 10. See, I want to suffer with him. This is um, Paul's expression from... Verse 10 be, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And that power of Christ's resurrection first provides the strength and the motivation for suffering. Because, listen, we don't, we don't have, like at Live Church, a suffering club. You know, let's go to the guest central after, 
and sign up for the suffering club. Oh boy! You get email updates, man, text, you know. The drone's flying overhead. We, you know, we are the suffering club. It kind of goes before you on your way out. No, that's not how it happens. We need that resurrection power to be able to go into suffering and stay true to Christ. Paul wants to suffer with him. It's not talking about suffering on the cross. That, that can never happen. But he, for, for, for the gospel's sake, that's where Paul's going with this. Philippians 1.29, for you have not... For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul writes, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. You can read through those verses. And in verse 27, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And Paul is saying, even though I've gone through all this suffering, I want to suffer more. What is that about? Second Corinthians 1 5, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort, his grace. Through Christ. Quick case of point. Joseph, Genesis 50, his brother sold him into slavery and falsely accused, thrown into prison. He said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see? When, when you have that resurrection power enabling you to stand with suffering for the gospel, you don't look at it as, woe is me, poor me. Why did this happen to me? You see it as an opportunity to what? Position you so that you could save many lives. Tell others about Christ through it. And then another one is Darlene Diebler Rose. Man, I talk about her all the time because she's one of my heroes of faith. Her book, Evidence Not Seen, she was a newlywed to, Amer to an American missionary, and she and her husband were, were over in the jungles of New Guinea during World War II, and the Japanese arrested them as spies, which they weren't. And you know that those POW camps, they put women in one camp and men in another. Her husband died in his camp. And Darlene survived four years. And she was tortured and other things in the process. And she, this is what she writes. But when the guard had returned me to my cell after she had been tortured... And the sound of his footsteps had vanished. When I was certain that no one could hear me, I wept buckets of tears. In desperation, I poured my, out my heart to the Lord. And when I read that, I thought to myself, have you ever poured your heart out before the Lord? Hmm? When you go through 
suffering, anxiety, depression, on and on and on. What does that look like, pouring your heart out before the Lord? It could be wailing. I can't take it anymore, God. God. Buckets of tears. You, You take your heart and you put it on the table before the Lord. God, I need you. I don't have an answer. I can't do this anymore. God. That's where she was at. And as she poured her heart out to the Lord, she said, oh, Lord, I just can't go through another one. I can't, Lord, I just can't. Please, no more, Lord. When there are no more tears to cry, I would hear the Lord whisper to me. But my child, my grace is sufficient for you. Not was nor shall be, but it is sufficient. And Darlene concludes, oh, the eternal, ever-present, undiminished supply of God's glorious grace. Suffering. How does she do it? That resurrection power and relying more. Paul's saying, I need it more, and Darlene needed it more. And Paul understood 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. So, how can we relate to what Paul's writing about here? Romans 5.3 and 4 kind of brings us down. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Friends, These challenges we face in life, we want to run from them, but they will develop endurance that you finish the race. You don't quit. You press on. And so many Americans today, we want to quit when life gets tough and hard. It's not fair. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And according to the dictionary, suffering is defined the state of undergoing pain, distress, and hardship. Consider the psalmist in Psalm 119, 67, and I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. Just a few verses later, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your word. Betsy Haddox wrote her life of experience. She said, I got to experience this truth firsthand after an unwanted divorce. My relationship with God after that season in my life was never the same. It was better, bigger, deeper, more real, and sustainable. Before I was afflicted by this particular suffering, I went astray. I veered from God. I blamed God. I was apathetic. I was a Christian, but I 
never needed God the way I did after I was abandoned and rejected by my husband. It was good for me to go through that because I saw God's word in a different light. I learned his word. I kept his word because I needed it to survive. My affliction wasn't wasted, and neither will yours be. So friend, wherever you're dealing with a big or small element of suffering, don't give up. Let it produce endurance, character, and hope for the future because God's promises are true. Father, we thank you this morning. As we read your word, Lord, even though Paul wrote this a long time ago, He's giving us encouragement in 2021, and as we face 2022, he's giving us a plan on how we can live our lives effectively, consistently, as we pursue you, Lord, in the midst of a world that's in chaos. It's a reminder, Lord, that no matter what happens, we need to keep you first and in front of our lives. Not a pushing you to the side, not, a, not grabbing the toys are us, toys and a little bit of you, but God letting go of what the world is offering and saying, Lord, both hands are empty because they need you, all of you, Lord. And I pray for each person here today. We quiet our hearts before you. And we say, Lord, speak to me. Maybe in areas that I've allowed to drift from you, the things I've allowed in my life to take your place. Oh, how you love us, Lord. Oh, how you love us. In a very simple way, if we've drifted from you, we can say, Lord, let today be a new beginning. Let this be a new beginning, a fresh start. Forgive me. But today I open up my arms, Lord. I open up my heart to you. I will follow you. I'll be all in with you, Lord. I pray for each person online and what in, in this room this morning. God, you know where we all are in life. 
the positions we're in. We invite you to come. Pour your grace into us. Pour your wisdom into us, Lord. May each of us conclude after it's all said and done, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I know again, referencing I don't know where you're at, but God does. So after we sing, there's going to be some folks up front to pray with you if you need prayer for any reason. We just want to agree with God. You know, we'll agree with God what God wants to do as you give him permission to work in whatever capacity that's needed. And so that's an invitation.